1: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Wherever you are in the world, I'm Russell Tovey. I'm Robert Diamant. And this is TalkArt.
0: Welcome to Talk Art.
1: How are you, Rob?
0: Today, Russell, I am feeling modern Ooh. and... I mean modern in the sense of futuristic, super stylish, mm. because there is actually a link to an evil scientist from Barbarella, which is obviously one of my favourite movies ever. Ever um, and, and quite aptly, I've just literally run here from the gallery because we just had a little champagne uh, gr- uh, drink with all my colleagues because we launched Catherine Bernhardt's New prints today and they've almost completely sold out. And there's a little link there which we will explore later on in the show. But I also thought champagne was quite apt for today's guest because when I was growing up, I was obviously born in 1980. I remember my dad very clearly saying to me that the Beatles for him were like a kind of very influential force in the whole of his childhood and growing up. And like a kind of cultural force. And he said to me very, when I was very young, and it always stuck with me that like Duran Duran, the the pop band, the rock band were the equivalent of what the Beatles were for him, because I was obsessed with them growing up. They were like my heroes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and pretty much led to the whole of what happened in my life in my twenties in my band. And today we have a founding member of Duran Duran, actually one of the original two members that sort of had the brainwave and the genius to come together um and form the band so i am super excited as you can hear Mm -hmm. i would like to welcome to talk art nick Nick
2: rose Rose. oh thank you gentlemen it's very nice to be here with you (laughs) how are you today good 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 you know given the circumstances that we've all been enduring i i'm feeling a little more hopeful now that maybe maybe there'll be a little sunlight
0: Indeed, yeah. Where are we speaking to you from?
2: I'm I'm in London. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah. Have you got out to a, a pub beer garden yet, or not really my kind of thing? But I have walked <laughs> past an awful lot of people in pub beer gardens. They seem to be cropping up on the street though. That <laughs> beer gardens have actually become beer pavements. I think <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's totally true. So what Rob was saying there is an affinity because Rob uh, is a keyboardist. And you yourself are the world's most foremost keyboardist. Um, and you were self-taught as well, which Rob is. So you have that affinity. So you were a massive inspiration. You're talking to one of your kind of proteges here.
0: Not not as talented though, sadly, I don't think. <laughs> I
2: I think the thing is with keyboards, you know, I, I've never thought of myself as a as a pianist. I can play a little, of course, but but um but piano is a very different instrument to a synthesizer. Mm. And that's really what I started with, and um and where I still am, they fascinate me because they can be absolutely anything you want. Mm. Even a seventeen-foot stuffed giraffe, if you really want,
1: <laughs> you can turn it into a keyboard. That's completely true. Yeah. Well, we so we all know we all know your music, but it'd be fantastic today to go into the art side of you, which m- m- most people might not know about. But you were born in Birmingham and you grew up wanting to be an artist to the point where you actually became an art student, right?
2: Well, I I didn't actually even get that far. I did want to become an art student. Um, John Taylor, my um, my friend who I knew since I was 10 years old and whom I formed the band with, was at art school when he he was two years older than me. So uh, I actually left um, comprehensive school at the age of 16 and thought I didn't have time to go to art school because the band would be my art school. and, And that's how it turned out. Um and John was at art school, which um so he's uh, he's very authentic and it was very useful because our first gig was at Birmingham Polytechnic at his art school. Mm. And um we, we were able to go there and make all our posters, which John designed, and we could go and print them all off, and you know, it's quite useful really.
1: <laughs> Did you know what sort of art at that point you thought you were going to make if you were to get that far?
2: Well, I um I suppose, you know, there, there were certain people that were already um, quite large in, in my um, art life, yeah. Andy Warhol being the most obvious one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I liked a lot of the pop art period, uh, Liechtenstein to a degree, Rauschenberg, um, not so much Jasper Johns for me, but, but that period was interesting. But I also like a lot of classical art. Um, you know, the the um, sort of Baroque period from uh, Naples. Uh, I, I, you know, all those th- those incredible um, paintings: Caravaggio, um, Giuseppe de Ribera, all those, those sort mm. of things. So, so I've sort of always got one foot in very classical and another one in in, in more contemporary. And um, you know, I would have made contemporary art for sure because, I firstly, I definitely can't paint like uh like Caravaggio that sure. <laughs> um, uh, um, but, but could i could i muster a few screen prints i think i probably could at some point
1: no i was gonna say so so fame came early to you was it around 17 yeah so you got um sort of famous around 17 18 right
2: yeah i guess so um we started the band when i was 16 yeah. um and then yeah by the time i was by the time i was 18 we were um, we were doing okay
1: Wow. So I've read that when you got to New York, when, when it was kind of the the British invasion, or as it's been referred to as, uh, Anglo disco, (laughs) when that kind of got to New York, you had an assistant that you, she said to you, what do you want to do? while you are here? And you said, I want to go up the empire state building and I want to meet Andy Warhol. And then what happened?
2: Well, I was just, uh, you know, um, sort of, uh, an optimistic and um, somewhat flippant young man from Birmingham. (laughs) And it was the first time I'd been to New York City. And so somebody asked me, I thought, well, if you don't ask, you don't get. But I didn't think for one single second that you could even go up the Empire State Building. It hadn't occurred to me that you could um, because it was this sort of mythical building, wasn't Mm. it? in Gotham City. And and, um, it still is, still is in my mind. And Andy Warhol, I, of course, I didn't dream that we, we'd be meeting him, but our um, PR girl, the lovely um, Doreen D'Agostino, wherever she may be, who quickly became known as Doreen Doreen, um, <laughs> she uh, she said, OK, guys, fine. And I, I thought she was joking the next morning when she called me up in the hotel and said, uh, OK, can you be down here at noon or whatever it was? I said, "Why? It's our day off. I want to go out and see New York." And she said, "Well, I thought you wanted to go up the Empire State Building and meet Andy Warhol. So we're going to go and do that, and then we're going to have lunch with Andy at the factory." Oh my god! So, so yeah, I picked up my jaw off the floor and then um, put on a put on an outfit and an attitude, and off we went. But I mean, amazing. what what was that like? And, and talking about an outfit, obviously, this is something that's really
1: important to you. You, you started collecting designer clothing like yoji yamamoto and mm. uh brands like that like male designers like that What well, can you remember what you wore and what was that experience like
2: um well i can remember but purely because there were photographs right uh,
1: oh, okay
2: so uh yeah i had a a nice little blue pinto number on pinto used to be a, um, a fabulous clothing boutique on the king's road in london and um it was a little blue suit with a, a bolero jacket and a blue and white striped T-shirt because we decided, for some reason, that we were we were going to be big on striped T-shirts that season. Um, so, so yeah, uh, there, there are pictures from that from that first meeting uh, that, that that exist, and he was great. He couldn't have been more encouraging and funny intelligent of course um and showed us everything at the factory but it was quite surreal because you walk in and there's bridget sitting at the desk and there's fred hughes over there and there's oh all these people that i'd read about in all these books were just there wow um but yeah and then um yeah i actually became good friends with andy for for well, until till he passed away very sadly but uh, he was um he was quite something
1: and you were obviously his favorite from everything that <laughs> I read really but like he was like
2: we got along very well and um you know it, it was for me I was just a kid and and I looked up to him for the things that he'd done i, I i've always been drawn more towards people that go across multiple mediums you know art cinema music design. And um, and of course, Andy had made the films with Paul Morrissey and all the the short films, and he'd um, he'd done the design before very early on. He's, he's beautiful early drawings. I love mm. when he was doing advertising stuff, mm. and um, and then of course all the, the 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 prints and paintings that everybody knows. And so so he really, I, I was drawn to that, and also my other sort of favorite artist, very different than Andy, but who. used to talk about a lot with andy is jean cocteau oh wow right yeah and um and andy was a massive fan of cocteau too Mm. Uh, and if you look at andy's early drawings actually totally yeah they're they're, they're pretty close to uh, the style of the the cocteau drawings um so so yeah and, and for the same reasons i love what cocteau did with cinema and um i think he's almost the singular most underrated uh, uh, painter and artist from that period. Uh, I I think it's more to do with jealousy than anything else that he was that good at that many different things that some mm. people just won't accept that the the drawings are that good or the paintings but 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 anyway yes so 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 um yeah I think that's really what what drew me to to that scene and music of course Andy and the Velvet Underground I should mention
0: yeah of course I always remember seeing amazing photos of Cocteau an ex of mine was related to a woman that was very close to Cocteau I've forgotten her name but she was like a performance artist or something and there's loads of pictures of them but he had a thing that you guys had in a way this kind of sense of self and persona that like really um, translates into imagery and then music videos That in, in your era you know like that whole kind of way that you could have this very precise sense of self and confidence and cool and I always remember like that kind of solid vision of, of how you present yourself was that something that came natural to you because i was watching the netflix documentary that's now on netflix i think originally it was in 2018 um about the history of the band um just a few nights ago and i was really struck by all of you to this day you just have this kind of very self kind of confident way of being like it's very rare
2: I suppose it must be natural because i never thought about it <laughs> <laughs> i mean it, it, it's I don't know, he did. What I do think about a lot is, is um, presentation mm. with, with everything we do. And, and I really do mean everything because the typeface, the smallest typeface on the label that you need a magnifying glass to read mm. still matters to me every bit as much as, as everything else, as every note on the record, as everything on the sleeve, as every light... That moves in the show and every frame of the video that's behind us, um, and 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 I think that uh, John um, is is very much part of the um, the aesthetic squad with me, and mm. so we we've always tried to look at our presentation in a very particular way. Um, and we learned that from the great artists that came before us from the likes of david bowie and Roxy Music and uh Sparks and Cockney Rebel and the the other the other glam rock acts T-Rex from the 70s and then then of course punk rock which had mm. the most incredible aesthetic um and and so mix that in with a bit of craft work, and uh, and and Giorgio Moroder, and mm. somewhere you end up in the cauldron with Duran Duran. Mm.
1: Well, it reminds me of a quote uh, in a Guardian interview, did, It says, uh, "I always judge a bottle of wine by its label. It shows that it's made by people who care about the tiniest details."
2: <laughs> so that <laughs> still. Well, I would never buy a record that I didn't like the cover of. Right. I couldn't bring myself to do it. And and usually I would think exactly the same thing. If they haven't bothered with the cover, then then I I don't think I'm gonna like what they're doing. That's so cool. That's, that's I love that. Nice.
0: I, I also think it's really interesting because. In fact, like Duran Duran could have been a kind of indie rock band, you know, that would have been in the NME almost. But instead, it went into a very different realm of like super pop culture, you know, where you had like screaming girls chasing you all around the world. Mm. And it's yep. so interesting because I actually think you guys changed things for the better because you took these kind of values and precision and, you know, actually having quality in what you do into the mainstream, which is such an unusual kind of thing.
2: It, well, it was a strange way that it came about because we really were um, sort of the children of glam rock and, and, and punk rock
0: yeah. and,
2: and, and electronic music. And so, so when we formed the band, the first album um, is, is a, a mixture of uh, electronic music and disco and a little bit of rock in there too. Mm. It's quite diverse, if you think on that album there is a seven-minute orchestral and electronic piece with no vocals at all, um, apart from a little moaning, um, <laughs> called Tel Aviv, and and um, that sits alongside Planet Earth, Girls on Film, mm-hmm. Waiting for the Night Boat, yeah. and of Thunder. So it, 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 we set our um, we set our, our boundaries extremely wide from the mm-hmm. beginning. We didn't want to get fenced in. My nightmare would be to be in a band that has a guitar, bass, drums, and one keyboard player, but they just play the same thing all the time. Um, I, I wouldn't have lasted past well, probably half an hour. But... Um, but, but with us, I think the beauty of Duran Duran and why we're still here and why we are all still enthusiastic enough to want to continue is because we are very adaptable and flexible. Um, a couple of tours ago, we all decided to come to the front of the stage and play keyboards. Well, Roger had electronic drums uh, in, our, in our homage to Kraftwerk. To Mm. There's not many sort of rock bands or bands generally that I, I think have that type of flexibility that like disco as much as they like rock music or ambient music.
1: Mm. Mm. Well, it feels like that you have that affinity with Andy Warhol and the fact that he was very forward thinking. He was very embracing of the future and wanting to know everything. And like you were testament to, you know, before MTV culture, you really pushed the fact that the visuals, the music videos had to be something special when when a lot of people weren't really paying that much attention to that side of, you know, yeah, the they marketing. Were
0: like, they were like mini films, weren't they? They were like these adventures yeah. you sort of go on and very exotic and like glamorous and, I don't know, like exciting.
2: If you go, if you go to a bunch of fairly young kids and say, you know, uh, you've got to make a film to go with your music that you've just <laughs> made and here's a budget, that's what happens.
0: Yeah. What about Rio, the, the album cover? Because that's one of my favourite bits in the documentary is where you, you find the painting again.
2: I haven't seen the documentary. Um, oh, you not? You know what I must just say I, about I'm, the documentary? I'm not so good at watching things once we've done <laughs> but I, I, I thought the director who did it, um, Zoe, was great. So I hope it turned out well. Um, yeah, the painting, uh, well, yeah, the, the painting was um, Patrick Nagel, who, a mm. uh, California artist who sadly died at a very young age, but it's a it's a very specific look. It's almost got a bit of Art Deco to it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but it, it summed up the '80s to me. I, at the time, it had that energy and the colour that that I don't I don't think people use sort of purple and lilac like that anymore, do they really? Um, but 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 then it seemed just right. And when I saw that image with the smile on her face. It, it makes you smile when you look at it and mm. um, and she's aging very well she looks just the same to me
1: yeah well it's an art deco like pop art feel but patrick nagel emphasized the female form throughout all of his kind of imagery so that and it's become iconic but what was it like to we talk about the 80s then what was it like being part of this kind of pop moment this moment in history and being famous at 17 what in the 80s what was that
2: like um I have great memories and no real regrets. It, it's um the thing about the 80s that now in hindsight I think we can see is that it was a decade of invention. People were not afraid to do something different. In the 80s when you walked down the street you wanted to stand out. Mm. By the time we got to the 90s it was all about having that particular pair of trainers and that pair of jeans for me that was not interesting what was interesting was having terry moogler claude montana um, anthony price yeah. Vivian westwood yoji yamamoto com de garçon jean-paul Gaultier, all at the same time creating <laughs> these remarkable things Uh, Not to say we didn't have amazing things in the nineties with Galliano and McQueen, of course, incredible. But in the eighties, it was more diverse almost. Um, And, and that's fashion, but you had the same with music, you know, our contemporaries, if you look at things in the charts, sometimes you'd have um, U2 in excess, the Smiths Mm. and you'd still have the Cure and Susie and the Banshees and Mm. Uh, alongside a lot of pop stuff, and and it it was really um, it didn't matter. We all existed alongside each other and made whatever we wanted. Everybody had their own personality. If I have any criticism at all of, of of music now, it's that I hear so much that sounds the same. It really does. It sounds like they've got it out of a tin and just poured it onto. Onto the vinyl, or, or well, not even that far. Often, just onto the onto the little digital chip, and, um, and 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 use the same things. And it's just not that's not interesting. What's interesting is when people do something different. When do people do something completely unique. And and um, and I, I suppose really that's that's my thought about the 80s. On most levels, it was like that.
0: I think one of the reasons I loved Duran Duran so much was that it is kind of conceptual. You know, it's not just about here we are as songwriters and we're going to like pour our hearts out to you even though you are all extraordinary songwriters and simon's an amazing singer but but for me I, I for example your 90s album like with come undone on i remember when i first saw that sleeve and it really confused me because back then in the you know in the early 90s onwards post 80s you had like basically people's on the front covers you know posed in some kind of way and there right. were some people that would do it quite cool like madonna because she'd always find an amazing photographer to like shoot her but it would still be her on the cover and i really liked that album sleeve and to me I see you guys as more like curators or something you would like pick out collaborators or artists to actually highlight and take to another audience.
2: Well I I think we've always sort of um seen ourselves as more of a a, a, an art project than, than a band because there's so many different things you know we we're lucky that we get to work with great people too I always say that you know you can make something good but when you collaborate with someone really great too it makes it even better and and um you know when I was a kid and I, I was going to Birmingham Arts Lab to watch movies with John Taylor and we went to see this movie called Eraserhead um which was David Lynch's first full-length movie yeah and it, it can. Completely blew me away. I I was opened up to another world that I didn't know existed out there. But that was when I was I don't know about fourteen or something. Um, and then several decades later, we find ourselves making a film with David Lynch. Wow. He made our live film for us, um, uh, which was such a thrill because I'm 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 a great admirer of, of his work and what he does. And he's another person that is he's, he's very like-minded. He he he's um he's got great references, but he's futuristic the way he thinks about things and he works in paintings, he works in music, he works in in obviously in in film. Um, he's he's a he's a great artist. Wow. So
1: when you started making money, you had the wherewithal to invest in arts. That's, you started collecting art at a very young age. How did yeah. you know to kind of do that? And where did you start with that?
2: Um, I started by buying things I liked, I, which <laughs> is not, I suppose, the right way to invest necessarily, because the art world now is, is more used much more as currency than mm. taste and style. Um and I think then I just bought things that I wanted to put on my wall uh, which I still have some of think prints um I bought a I bought a Dali print when I was about 17 I think which oh my god uh, yeah it wasn't it, it wasn't terribly terribly expensive but for me it was a lot of money then with what yeah. I what I I earned and um why why Dali I don't know, I just saw it and I, I, I loved it. I love surrealism too, that's the other thing. That that period, to me, again, ideas. People had so many magical ideas. I mean, now, you know, there are artists out there, there are people, of course, that come up with great things and concepts. But uh, I think it was Simon de Puri who said the other day that um, somebody had asked him once whether, um, whether he was drawn to art as a physical thing or an intellectual thing,
0: mm.
2: I said physical. I would also say physical doesn't mean that I don't like lots of concept art and intellectual things. I do, but I don't have any particular um, uh, wish to put conceptual pieces in 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 my house. Uh, I, I don't. I don't need a bunch of bricks on the floor in a circle or mm. whatever it is. Uh, I'd rather have a painting to look at if it's a beautiful painting. Yeah. But, but anyway, um, it's interesting the way things have gone now. I suppose when you look at the Beeple, um, the right, NFTs, yeah, and things like that. Sure. It's not. It's not. I. I'm not against the concept. I think it's probably being um, manipulated rather a lot at the moment, but. In theory, the fact that people issue things and say there's only x amount, and that you don't have to hang them on your wall, you've just got an ownership in them. Um, I, I get, I get that concept completely. It's, uh, I don't suppose it's, it's much different in some ways than Marcel Duchamp going and buying a, a load of shovels and signing them, is it, and saying, mm-hmm. right, this is mine now. Um, it's. Uh, or, or multiple editions of, of screen prints, uh, not even made directly by the artist, uh, made by Murakami's factory or Damien Hirst's factory or whatever it is. It's uh, mm. the Art is there for people to um, do whatever they want with it and to get whatever enjoyment out of what they buy um, or what they look at. You don't have to buy art. I spend most of my time in galleries looking at art. I don't I don't, I don't have to own it. Um, but of course, it's nice to have good things on your walls and things that yeah. make you happy, things that inspire you. I've
1: got Andy Warhol's diary here, and uh, you, you feature a lot. There's lots of uh, entrances for Nick Rhodes. But on Monday, September 17th, 1984, there is a section where he says... And Nick Rhodes buys art, but he doesn't listen to anybody. And I told him that it's stupid not to, that it's yeah. just like buying stocks. But he said, I just buy what I like.
2: Well, there you go. See, some things haven't changed. But but you see, Andy was right. You know, he saw all this coming. He would have, uh, he would, he would have known exactly what the NFT thing was. Um, mm. God, I wish he'd seen the internet. I really, really do. That would have been uh, quite something because he would have viewed it in a way that nobody else had thought about.
1: Yeah, him on Instagram. Can you imagine? Yeah. Andy Warhol on Instagram would have just been <laughs> he like
2: left the house. He barely left the house because he was frightened of looking things on TV. But, um... Yeah. Did you once buy Picasso on an MX? Yeah, a... you did. Oh my god, that's yeah. hilarious.
1: Where was that? What was that story? Uh,
2: I was in I was in Saint Paul de Vence, I think, um, in the south of France, and um, it was it was just a little tiny. Um, Tiny masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, would, I wouldn't have said it was a masterpiece, but it was a, it was a tiny little um, uh, drawing, uh, crayon drawing. But, but um, yeah, yeah, I, I had that for a while. I don't have that one anymore. So it's one of the few pieces that I, I parted company with because it didn't didn't seem to be sitting right.
0: Did you uh, go to um, La, La Colon d'Or, a hotel in in Saint-Paul-de-Vance?
2: Many times, yeah.
0: Yeah, because I've never been there. I've always wanted to go. Oh, that's a classic, well, isn't
2: yeah. it? They have an amazing art collection. Yeah. Really extraordinary, beautiful things in there. Yeah. That's yeah, worth. we've been
0: invited actually to go with TalkArt to sort of go and stay at the hotel and talk about the art. Because don't they have like Calder sculptures by the pool and stuff.
2: Yeah, over the pool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. cool.
0: Over
1: Love the, the pool.
0: pool. Yeah. It's like, and, and they used to do things where they would like take the artworks and then you could, they were almost like to, to barter. And then the artist would stay and have food and also get to like stay the night wow. um, in yeah. exchange for the art.
2: Oh no, it's extraordinary. There's all kinds of things. There's a beautiful um leger mural yes. in the wall, I think. And uh oh, there's there's all kinds of things, Picasso's and bracks and you'll you'll enjoy it. It's great. It's really wow. sp-
0: you know, you mentioned um, Damien Hirst there a minute ago, and that first time I ever met you was actually at one of Damien's openings, which was that very extraordinarily kind of strange moment in 2008, and it was just before the financial crisis. I think it literally the next day, the whole of the banking system Great. collapsed sort of thing. Yes. Yeah, it was just it wild, and I remember standing in there, and for some reason, you walked over to me, and we stood and ended up sort of hanging out for about half an hour, and the first time we said hi to each other, we were stood by a sculpture on the wall that was all. Cigarettes and it was cigarettes in lines, like um, in the cabinet. Yeah, in a cabinet. And the room was shaking because there were so many people in there. And it was this really extraordinarily odd moment where I think Jay Jopling had been talking to us and then he sort of was a bit confused who I was and walked off. And then (laughs) you and I were sort of didn't know each other. We were stood there and we were looking at, at this sculpture and it was shaking. And in my memory, one of the cigarettes fell off like the. The, think the, right. the, the perch it was on and I can't remember if I've made that up as a memory whether it's actually real
2: no I think you're right uh, um that's uh that's the thing he should have used pins shouldn't he so and after, I remember us talking the butterflies, about it. Yeah. you would have thought that he'd got he got the pinning technique down but no all just yeah spent. and it
0: fell off and then I also remember you telling me that one of your favorite works by him I think it was you was his drawings of the cigarettes or or something about his drawings and how they were like I don't know like I can't remember now.
2: I, I like some of Damien's things. Um, I like the, um, I actually quite like the, um, the, the black paintings he made that look like Francis Bacon's. Mm. With, oh, right. Yeah. The Stock recent and, ones. Um, yeah, that, 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 that was a nice series.
1: Yeah. We're talking about that hotel where you were, you were bartering. There is, I would like a little history lesson now about the power of Mr. Chow's uh, Chinese restaurant, which is on 57th Street in New York and became the place for the art community for music and for film people to hang out. And in, there's photos that appear from 1985 from Andy Warhol's birthday party there, which you were at, where you're sat with Keith Haring and you're sat with David Hockney and you're sat with Grace Jones and Andy Warhol. What, what was the power? Why, why did Mr. Charles become so synonymous with this period in history?
2: Well, it was just the restaurant that everybody um, went to hang out at it in New York. The first Mr. Charles was London. Was the mm-hmm. one in Knightsbridge. Mm. Then um, I don't know what years they, they opened, but um, Michael and Tina Chow, um, Michael who is um, is, is in it lives in LA now and he paints himself, um, had had opened the restaurants. Uh, Tina was a very very uh, dear friend of mine, um, whom I met through Andy actually. Um, and we just all used to meet up there. If, if you went there on your own or with a couple of people, you know that you'd know half the people there. <laughs> it was all that that crew: Francesco Clemente and uh, and Alber and and. Um, and Andy and Jean Michel and um, Keith and Kenny Sharpe and it was you know all those artists Julian Schnabel they were it was that period where there were a lot of great things. New York was really the center of art at that point, as as London became that center with with Brit Art. Mm. Um, I, I think really the eighties then belonged to New York. Um, and, and it was always fascinating because there was other people too. Stephen Sprouse was always there and who I, I adored and, mm. uh, and Debbie, Harry, and, you know, it was, it was, it was, um, it was an interesting crowd. I suppose when you'd been there and you saw all those people, you, you, um, you didn't really need to go to the other, but there were other <coughs> restaurants. We we sometimes used to go to um, Odeon or Cafe Luxembourg mm. or, There were other ones, um, Il Contenori, you know, restaurants become fashionable for periods, don't they? And then they get taken over sometimes by other fashionable people or otherwise dropped.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
0: what's it like when you're sat at dinner with sort of like six other super important people from kind of culture? Is it just very ordinary? Are they just like very down to earth people or is it, or do you sit there sometimes and you think, Oh my Pinch God, yourself. what is like, what this? Is yeah. This like, is it crazy?
2: I, I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm always fascinated by other artists that I admire. So I'm happy to meet them and happy to mm-hmm. hang out with them and to share ideas, share stories, whatever, it, whatever it is. Um, uh, Andy was certainly the centre of of that group, no question. But there was a lot of talented people around then who were all doing slightly different stuff as well. And and um, you know, I, I think curiosity is is important in life, mm. especially if you're an artist. And 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 that's one of the things that for sure um, drives me to do whatever I want to do next. That's how I I ended up at this. Um, Astronomia project, which perhaps we we'll talk about in a second, but but yeah. I um I, I think that being around people that are inspiring can only generate more inspiration for for you as an artist. Right. No, especially people that are hugely successful already, or some people that are coming up. It's nice to watch people, you know. I'd met Jean-Michel before um he'd really uh, become anywhere near what he became even in his lifetime mm. and then to think what has happened subsequently mm. after after he left us is what was he like um i i love jean michel he was um he was really gentle and sweet and um you know sometimes a little moody but but he he had a lot of people pulling on his tails all the time, saying, "Come over here, come do this, come do that." Uh, but he he did everything his way, and that's that's why he was so great at it. I think he he was he was uncompromising. He didn't he didn't like being messed around by people. Um, but he was he was intelligent, and he um, you know he 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 was a proper proper artist. Through
1: and through, and Keith Herring you hung out with as well, right?
2: Keith, yes, yes, Keith I knew him very well. Keith was what? lovely,
1: yeah. Because everything I've seen on him, he just seems to be so like cool and kind of cocky and really charming with it that everybody loved him.
2: Yeah, yeah, they did. No, I, I, I he was very special, Keith. Um, he was obsessed with famous people, Keith. That's what I remember much more so than Andy, actually. Yeah, I think. Um, but. Um, but no, look, he invented his own language, too. Look, look, at, look at what he did. It's kind of extraordinary when you think, um, yes, you look at the cartoon thing and you go, okay. And at the same time, you had Kenny Scharf, who was uh, Keith's contemporary, mm. who also made some really beautiful things. And then you look, you know, in many ways, I look at the Jeff Koons stuff, and I think, well, actually, Kenny was doing that. A long, long, long time ago. And right. then you look at Keith's stuff and the influence that he had on people. Uh, look at cause. I, for me, that that's that's got a lot of um a, a lot of Keith in it too. Oh, yeah. And and I I think you know what he's done is amazing. Again, he's he's created uh, his own market. I I met him very early on. A friend introduced us and I went over to his studio and he was so lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I thought, oh, this is. She's going to do okay but you you would never have seen that that sort of growth to the monumental um you superstar know
1: superstar international
2: sort of yeah, like. yeah. yeah but but you know he he was very organized and these amazing toys that he was making right yeah. from the beginning in in, in Japan and uh, you know, I, I um you know I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we met then uh, yes.
0: We we had calls on the show and he's. I love that kind of gentle quality he has. He's so yeah, kind of like beautiful. quiet and thoughtful and sincere. He's, he's a great yeah. guy. You know, another person Herring really influenced is our mutual friend, Catherine Bernhardt. And the last time I saw you was at Freeze before the whole pandemic happened. I don't know, maybe 2019 now. But you came on the booth to see Catherine because she was in the UK. Yeah. And um, she's a big admirer of yours as well. And I think your band actually really inspired her kind of,
2: uh, I think you guys Style. give her
0: strength and kind of like uh, make her feel like a stronger person somehow. It's very sweet.
2: Well, I, Can you I speak like a bit about her? Yeah, no, I like Catherine very much. We met, um, gosh, I don't know, quite some years ago. I went to her first show in London. Right. right. I want to say it was somewhere in Knightsbridge or Belgravia or something. It was, yeah, it was it's some strange kind of collaboration. A very different kind of venue. It was her
0: model paintings, wasn't it?
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And um and yeah, I liked her. She's quirky and got a lovely energy to her and and, and she's got a style all of her own. You know, she, totally. she whatever she wants and it always ends up being hers. So yeah, no, she's great. Do send her my regards if you see her. I haven't seen her for a while.
0: Yeah, definitely I will do.
2: Do you do you collect now? And how do you how do you collect
1: now? Do you look at emerging artists from like all around the world or do you have a certain kind of thing that you do like zone in on?
2: Well, I, I do collect, yeah, but I, I'm I'm really all over the place. I don't I don't collect a specific thing. I'm not I'm not one of these who sort of says I've got to have, you know, one piece from each one of these sort of hot new ten artists and I must have a, you know, a Robert Nother piece now and I've got to have that. It's not uh there's lots of artists out there who I think are doing good things, but I um I do tend to buy slightly older things rather than new things, um, which goes against most things that I, I I like to think I stand for. But <laughs> I don't. Um, I, I haven't bought that many um, modern pieces recently. I I suppose one of the things that happens is that you see a lot of stuff, and you know, if you go to Frieze or any of the art fairs, um, and you you see booth after booth after booth, you sort of go art blind mm-hmm. right? because it starts to really look the same. It's, oh, everybody's trying to do that graffiti thing, but now they're doing it with spray paint as well. And everybody's got square shoulders and a square head and sort of robot eyes. You, you'll see that. And then you'll see other things. There was one year I went where Virtually everything was in a cabinet, like a Damien Hurst Every booth, everything. It didn't matter what what it was. You could put you put your grandma's glasses in there in a line, and it was fine. That was acceptable that year. Um, so from that point of view, that's where I sort of draw my line. And then occasionally, you come across someone yeah. who you think, ah, now that I like that is different. There's um. A photographer that I'm particularly keen on that we, um, we've we just, uh, I think he's going to do our next album cover for us, uh, mm. a Japanese photographer called uh, Daisuke Yakota. Oh, and right. um, I, I think he's the most inspiring modern artist of the period uh, at the moment. Um, you know, it's because his things are truly original and, and, uh, I can see where his roots have come from, you know, out of, out of those Japanese photographers, out of Moriyama and, and, um, uh, and some of the others from that sort of 60s, 70s period. But, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I bounce around from things. I'll, I'll buy things that I like, mm. um, true to my form, but I, I, um, I'll sometimes buy older things. And if I find a great surrealist piece that I, could afford then i buy that you know probably more so than uh than uh maybe four new modern artists
0: what, what are the paintings behind you because there's some sort of portraits or
2: oh those those are the three wise men are they <laughs> <laughs> where uh, did
0: you get those are they canvas yeah uh,
2: they're, they're victorian they're oh, uh, they're, they're just uh, they're just for fun oh
0: yeah, they're
2: cool I was, I was fed up with the
1: wall being empty.
0: Right,
1: You were talking about um, photography then, and you yourself are a photographer. I've, I've read somewhere that when you, you released a book in 1984 of um, abstract manipulated Polaroid photographs that you did called Interference, but at one point on tour, you had a suitcase full of all of your Polaroids that you carried around because you were so inspired and constantly kind of creating are you you're still doing that right and that's a that's a thing for you Uh,
2: i I haven't used polaroid as much recently but i still love polaroids um i yeah i take photos most days something
1: um with a camera or with your would you say your phone
2: uh, mostly a camera Right. Uh, I do use my phone too. I, I mean, actually now the cameras in the phones are pretty good as we all know, but, but I, I quite like having a camera and I like having additional control over it. Often I leave it on, on manual, uh, on, um, on automatic, but, but occasionally, you know, you just think, oh, actually, if I could just mess with the aperture a little bit and then, and then that, that can be kind of fun. So yeah, I do carry a camera most places with me, Um I'm thinking of going back to analog again because it really does still look better than any of the digital things. And even though I can smash all my pictures up in uh, in Lightroom or whatever and 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 make them look like they were done uh, with with uh, 35 millimeter or something, it's not quite the same. So I'm I'm struggling with that a little bit at the moment. I'm, I may go take a step back for a while. And then, of course, they'll get scanned and digitally fiddled with anyway. So, yeah.
0: Something I've always really loved about what you do is the idea of, like, world-making. You sort of create other worlds, or, you know, you might have started in Birmingham, but everything that you did was, was so kind of, like beyond this planet, almost. I always feel like there's a kind of ambition, and that's one of the things I love in art, you know, people that can create their own universes. And can you speak a bit about your current project then, the astron- Astronomia? Because it sounds like such an interesting kind of thing and to do with astrology or,
2: like, universe. What happened was that uh, when when the, uh, the world sort of uh, moved into lockdown, um, <laughs> I realized that this was going to be for a while um, and I wanted to be able to continue working um, and I don't need a lot of complicated things to work. I just uh, some synthesizers and a sort of little production room is fine. Um, I've been working with um, a wonderful artist called Wendy Bevan,
1: mm.
2: who i had been introduced to by a mutual friend uh she's a performance artist um a violinist um an extraordinary vocalist songwriter and a photographer uh Mm -hmm. she also takes really beautiful photos done a lot of fashion stuff so we had a lot in common and um anyway we got in the studio and we worked and for on a track for her solo album which was a more traditional vocal based Mm -hmm. album we finished the album um just before uh the whole chaos that we're now enduring and we were going to put it out last year but then thought well what's the point because it's going to get lost and everybody's so confused by everything that's going on and we don't know how it's all going to play out and more than anything she wanted to do some live shows to support it and couldn't right so we said, all right well let's put that on hold but let's contact continue working and um the idea was to produce some. Uh, instrumentals, some unusual instrumentals that were a combination of orchestral music with live violins and analog synthesizers, and to see what we got. So we tried a few of them, we did two, three, four, five, six, and suddenly there's about 20 um, because they just kept pouring out. And I realised what we were doing is that we were... It was like our diary of what was going on outside in the world, but oh. from inside our bubble. Oh. And everything was getting poured into these pieces. So one day they'd be incredibly sad, and then another one a bit more hopeful, and then one that was just chaos, and then one that was really quiet and sort of um, thoughtful. And 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 we, we were getting all these different moods. It was quite... Um, it was quite sort of schizophrenic for a while. It was all over the place and out of control and we didn't know what was coming. Mm-hmm. But then we managed to sort of pull the strings in a little bit and get control of our personalities. And, um, and we thought about what we'd got and said, well, what is it? What, what does it, what's it about? And we decided to base it on the universe and mythology. Mm-hmm. Um mythology from again from my great love of Jean Cocteau. Um, he was the sort of inspiration from that with the um with the Orphe trilogy and mm-hmm. um and obviously a lot of his other work. But but um For those who, who don't know who are
0: listening right now, can you explain what that trilogy is?
2: Yes, Jean Cocteau uh, made three films. Um, in the, I guess, the 20s into the 40s, uh, which were all based on Orphe and the the myth of Mm Orphe and Eurydice. And um, those films started with The Blood of a Poet and then there's Orphe and then The Testament of Orphe. And if you haven't seen them, I would highly recommend them because they are, the most beautiful handmade art films of that period. And his inspiration being mythology, Mm. uh, it it makes for all kinds of cinematic magic tricks that he did without having to use any digital technology because it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so so, so we had this inspiration from the universe, really. It was that and the stars, planets... Looking up to the skies, hoping there's something else. Uh, you know, it, it's magical still, isn't it? If, you, if there's a, a beautiful night and you can see stars, if the light pollution has gone and, and, you know, they've closed down Piccadilly Circus, then um, there's a little hope somewhere up there, a bright light shining. And so we, we use this um, as our sort of uh general storyboard and once we did that it, it really then started to accelerate and we made loads more music it's four albums um called the astronomia project um, volumes one two three and four all of which are coming out this year
1: so amazing.
2: On, on the equinoxes and um the solstices So the next one is around June the 20th, I think. The first one came out, which is called The Fall of Saturn. The next one, The Rise of Lyra in June, and so on. And and um, we're presenting it through our Instagram, which is Astronomia Volumes, Mm -hmm. where a new video uh, to accompany the track is loaded each week. And because I love numerology too, there's 13 tracks on each album and they come out every 13 weeks, which is 52 weeks in the year. So there are 52 tracks and one new video each week for one track for the year. Oh my
1: God, that's so cool. I am it's loving my diary
2: this. For a, year a lot with, with, with
1: it's the mythology. The mythology thing is incredible. Numerology that you're into for that. Goodness. I mean, I, what what is it about numerology that excites you?
2: Well, I just like mathematics, you know. I, I, I like logic, um, and science. I, I, I've always been obsessed about science since I was a kid, you know. That that's that's what I really believe in. I'm 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 not religious, science is my religion. Um and and I, I don't know. I like I like the thought that there's other things we have to look a little further. That's uh, it hasn't done Elon Musk any harm so far, has it? I think uh, I think he's really um, uh, the one that's looking the furthest, actually. Mm. At the moment, um, it's it's fascinating. I grew up in the space race generation. Uh, that that's what were the moon landing I was a tiny little kid when when the moon landing was there and I remember it is one of my earliest memories uh, uh, as as if it were yesterday just sitting there and never having been so excited as seeing this little television broadcast in um, flickering black and white uh, of this guy and then running outside and looking up thinking he's on that planet he's not anymore and and i don't know there's there's not many things that you can think of that are more um exciting or uh, or um ambitious than landing on another planet Is there are there really it's mm. uh, i'd love to think there were um there were aliens all around us nice friendly ones though not ones mm. that um do unpleasant things to us
0: do you have any other memories from growing up um in relation to art like the first time you saw a museum or well, or you
2: know, I- yeah, loads. Um, we used to go on school trips from Birmingham to London. We'd go to different galleries, which I love. The National Portrait Gallery is a great treasure. Um, if I'm walking past, I, I can't sort of resist dropping in, just go and say hello to the Garavaggios alone, you know. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I do. A lot of things. There was a gallery in Birmingham, uh, one of the smaller independent galleries called the Icon Gallery. Yes,
0: I love Icon.
2: Yeah, um, that was one of the first galleries we went to. And actually, the show that was on there um, when I went was Dougie Fields. Who
0: Really?
2: Yeah, yeah. it was the first time I ever saw a Dougie Fields piece. And then Dougie and I became really, really good friends uh, for the last... 35 years or so, and I'm sure you're probably aware he recently passed away. Mm. So I was deeply saddened by that. Um, I think he's one of the great unsung heroes of British art. Yes. Uh, He came up in that period where, you know, you had people like um, Alan Jones and Peter Blake uh, um, that were obviously the the Kings and Hockney. Um, And then there was Dougie. And Dougie sort of um, produced his own things and had his own style, which he remained true to until the very end. And and uh, they are kind of remarkable technical masterpieces. Those paintings, I, uh, I I think any of you haven't heard of Dougie Fields, go and look up his work. It's um it's very um very original. Doesn't look like anybody else's, and and it's very particular. But um, but he he'll be missed.
0: He was also incredibly generous to other artists and to musicians mm. and all kinds of creative people, and would really like go on walks with people and like encourage people. And we had the great privilege recently of speaking with Zandra um, Rhodes about four or five days after he passed yeah. away, and we dedicated the yeah. episode to him. So I love I love what he did.
1: Yeah. yeah. Did you um, win a national prize for window dressing when you were twelve? Yes.
2: Oh God, well, so how good. was
1: that? How was it a national prize? How was your window dressing at twelve?
2: That is a good window. That's because my mom and dad had, um, uh, well, my mom really had a had a toy shop. Um, sadly, she didn't have it when I was really little and loved toys. toys. Right? She got it when I'd sort of grown out of toys and before I started to love toys again. Um, <laughs> but in that period, from when I was about twelve till seventeen or whatever, I, I used to help her with the shop. And the thing I like to do the most was do the window dressing. Um, So, yeah, and uh, I did it. And um, for some reason it got entered into into a prize. But better still, it was a Barbie window. Wow. There we go. Love that. There you go. So I won for a Barbie window.
0: Do you think, Do you, you know, when you were talking about the new um, Astronomia project, the way that when you sort of had your concept about the universe, suddenly everything started, started to accelerate. Yeah. Is that something that you find really useful to kind of come up with this overarching theme that you can then explore, almost like a set of rules or something?
2: Yes, I do. Uh, I, I think that um, it's great to sort of um, be in the dark and see what you can make sometimes. Yeah. But um, it's even better if you can control the lighting perfectly and be able to be in the right atmosphere to get the best out of everything. And if you've got a direction, then you're you're always going to win more than if you haven't. It's, It's like making a film without a script you can do it. And sometimes, you know, if you're Jean-Luc Godard, you, you make something fabulous, but other times it just ends up being a mess. Uh, whereas you got the right script, then you can, you can really, um, you can, you can make something very special. And that's, that's what it was about because even for example, once, once we got um, astronomy as, as, as the, the, the center of it, mm. I started looking up things in different constellations and thinking, Oh, I like that. What's that? What's Blasco Effect? <laughs> that's a good title. Yeah, And so that's how you, you find things. And, and I, was, I was quite um, well-versed in mythology already, so I knew where to look and which, which myths we wanted to particularly mm-hmm. look at. Um, what is Blasco Effect? Well, you'll have to look it up. There we go. (laughs) That's a
0: a mission for everyone listening now. You can go out and discover.
1: What the Lascaux effect is. Um, So, Nick, we ask every guest uh, two questions. The first one is, if you could do an art heist, if you could have any work of art in the world to yourself, from anywhere in the world, whatever it is, what would it be and why? Ah,
2: goodness, that's a tough one. Um, What would it be? Hmm. Quite like that Caravaggio that they have at um, it's the museum in Naples, um, the Capit di Monte in mm-hmm. Naples. I think they've got one of the best Caravaggios at the end of that corridor. I actually don't know the names of all of them, but that one. That one is quite big. You'd need good ceiling height to be able to hang that at home. But that, that one I really wouldn't mind. I think that those Baroque painters from that period um, just were the most extraordinary artists. And when I say that, it doesn't mean that um, I don't hold Marcel Duchamp in the same sort of esteem. I do, but it's, it's a whole different thing. The technical skill... And the the ability that um, the Caravaggio particularly had, the 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 light in those paintings, which is often talked about and rightly so, mm. it's it's unlike anything that you've ever seen in 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 artworks. And I literally just marvel. I whenever I've got time, if I'm in Rome or in in Naples, particularly where there's a. The, the, the bigger selections of Caravaggios. I just go and look at them because they're almost like an impossibility, like they were done by uh, an alien. Mm-hmm. They, they seem um, as, as if the, they shouldn't exist, the most beautiful, exquisite things. With modern art, I suppose, um no, let's have a think. Uh, there's a lot of nice Picabias that I'd quite like. Oh, really? Yeah, um, that I, I like the monster series um, and the yes. trans- and the transparencies. I would, wouldn't mind one of those.
0: I always really like Picasso, and I remember certain people like sort of yeah, not, being, not uh, sort of,
2: some people don't like him. But, him yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm not. I think he's. I think he's a great master. Um, mm. You know, I mean, there, there's obviously there's obviously plenty to choose from, isn't there? There's. A, I, I think the. Um, what would i have from a warhol i guess the liz actually i thought the marilyn for a while but i think the liz is is my favorite when i when i saw the the um the exhibition at the tate modern when the when it opened which sadly not enough people got to see because mm. it closed for half the, the pandemic but uh, i thought that was really really beautifully curated and put together um, andy andy would have been proud of that and and the um the silver liz just looked resplendent um, on the wall on its own. I think that, that, that one is a, is a real gem from that period. Um, hmm, there's a lot of things, isn't there? There's a...
1: What was it like when you did the interview cover? What was the process of that for Andy Warhol's interview series?
2: Well, the interview covers were done by Richard Bernstein. Uh-huh. Who, though they were sort of Warhol-looking style in a way, um, what it was is you have a photograph taken. In my case, Albert Watson took the photo. Uh, then they would the photos were given to Richard, who would paint on them, layer them, put different bits of plastic over things, and yeah, quite a quite a quite an unusual technique. Um, and then. Make the artwork, which they would then print the cover from. Um, but yeah, I, I sort of missed his things when they changed the cover, when they sort of changed editors and things. I, I I thought it was almost a mistake to not have Richard do them. But again, he's long gone now. But but he he was um, he was an unusual character. He did all those Grace early Grace Jones covers, um, yes. the disco ones before you know before night clubbing and mm-hmm. uh, yeah.
0: I always thought amazing. that whole kind of airbrushing era was such a kind of interesting time. You know, if you if you think yeah. about that and the the artistry behind, I, I love that
2: then. stuff. Yeah, that sort of Fiorucci stuff. And yes, amazing. Yeah.
0: yeah, and even Maripol. I used to hang out with her, but I love her.
2: Well, Maripol and those um and and those silver um, polaroids.
0: Yeah, yeah, she was iconic. And the other question we ask every guest is, oh. "What is your favorite color?"
2: My favorite color. Um... IKB, of course. What? What is that? What's that? Is International, that a space thing? International climb blue.
0: Oh, ah. I haven't had that one. Love that.
1: IKB. So that the, the kind of cobalt blue that he's known for. That's your favorite.
0: Naturally, Ross. You know, but he,
2: um, he actually um patented that that colour, I believe. Um yeah, wow. long before um Anish Kapoor managed to do one, didn't he? He got a black. Yes, Definitely yes, black, yes. No, and he's got a black, yeah. I can only imagine that must have been inspired by, uh, by Eve Klein.
0: Right. And that's a, there's, a, there's a young artist now who's fighting against the Anish Kapoor black.
2: Yeah, but there's another one that's made a more black black, isn't there? That's right, black. yes.
0: And and black. Com- yeah, exactly. And it's completely, it's Stuart Semple, and it's completely like, um, sort of has no light or something. It's a really amazing I don't know. He, he's managed to invent this new black. It's really interesting.
2: Some curtains, maybe. Maybe he could call me if he's um, he's got it in curtain fabric.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has been so much fun. Thank, Thank you, so you so much, much, much for,
2: you. Um, it was fun. It was good. fun. That's no, good. Um, all right. Well, uh, I shall um, I shall listen out for some of your other shows when you I, when you've got some different guests. Who have you got coming up?
1: Rosandra uh, Rose is going to be coming up talking about Dougie Fields and uh, tonight Rachel Whiteread's going out and we've got Gilbert and George and then we've got, yeah, we've got we've got a
0: whole host of people and there's lots of younger artists coming as well that you might not necessarily know yet. We, we kind love. of balance between superstars yourself. And
2: then I also, the, send, send send me some tips. I'd love to. I always I'm always looking for new things. so uh, Definitely, if there's if there's people, you you probably are much more in the thick of it than I am. So, so send well, you me. should
1: come to. I, I'm curating a show at Rob's Gallery called Breakfast Under the Tree, which is inspired by Manet's uh, Le Déjeuner sur L'Herbe, and it's a group show of international artists. So a lot of them are emerging, and I think it's figurative. It's about group figuration and how we live now. And I think. You'll really like that, so I don't know if that's something you'd be interested in seeing a PDF of, or well, that's,
2: that's the that's the one that um, Malcolm McLaren used for the um, Bow Wow Wow album cover, right? Yes,
0: exactly, exactly that. Yeah, yeah nice link there. Yeah. Also, we have a we have a book coming out which we can post you because that has lots of right? the artists that we love.
2: Yeah, definitely. Send me Your that. Book. We will okay. do. Amazing. Well,
0: thank you for listening. For everyone listening, you can visit our Instagram for images of all the artworks we've discussed in today's episode. And we will be back very soon. Oh, and Nick, are you on Instagram? So what is the Astronium?
2: Oh, well, uh, Astronomia is on Instagram. Yes, it is Astronomia Volumes.
0: Volumes, great. And is Duran Duran on Instagram? It must be.
2: Duran Duran are on Instagram. I imagine it's their name. Love that. And uh, we'll be back very soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks,
0: Bye. Nick. Bye. <laughs>